Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. But that's all right. As we continue through our study of 2 Corinthians uh, entitled Strength and Weakness, we come across a topic in chapter 2 that is often considered a weakness. But in Jesus Christ, it's made a strength, and that is forgiveness. And so we've all experienced forgiveness in one way or another, whether we've wronged somebody or somebody's wronged us in some way, whether we've asked for forgiveness or somebody's asked us for forgiveness. We've all experienced forgiveness in one way or another, and we've learned that forgiveness is a really good thing. Forgiveness is great, but on the flip side, forgiveness can, uh, I'm sorry, unforgiveness can be a very detrimental, dangerous force in our lives, and it really can cause a lot of issues. And I don't know if you know this, but unforgiveness can even lead to a, lo- a lot of different issues and problems that you know we're going to be talking about today, including the detriment of your own very soul. So uh, is a, there's a lot that goes into forgiveness and unforgiveness. So let's open up a word of prayer really quick, and then we will dig in. Heavenly Father, thank you that that uh, we can study your word, that you've preserved it for us, and that uh, we have this freedom and opportunity in this country to study your word, Lord God. And I pray that you would bless this time, give me the right words to say, and open the hearts to receive the message that you have uh, prepared. Jesus' name I pray, amen. So missionary and author Lou Nichols uh, writes about these two young boys named Harry and James. And now Harry and James are two brothers, and they're young. And uh, after dinner, they went out back and they start playing. And sometime uh, during their play and roughhousing time, Harry accidentally smacks James in the head with a stick. You know, how, how kids can be. And so as soon as that happens, you know, there's weeping and there's gnashing of teeth, there's accusations flying, there's screaming and yelling, and you know, they're at each other wrestling around. And so the mom sees this and she goes out there and she picks them up and they're Arr! And so she, she brings them into the house and they still don't calm down. They're still yelling at each other. And so she says, all right, it's time for bed. <clears throat> and so she brings them and uh, they're brushing their teeth and they're still yelling at each other. And, and then uh, she finally tucks them in the bed and they're still yelling at each other. And so she sits down and she says, listen. She says, now boys, what would happen if you died tonight and you would never get a chance to forgive each other? And uh, so, you know, James gets quiet and he says, well, okay, I'll, I'll forgive him tonight. But if we're still alive in the morning, he better look out. <clears throat> so James, James might not have fully understood what forgiveness was about completely, but that's okay. We're going to look at forgiveness today, and I think a good place to start before we dig into our passage is to look at what forgiveness is. 
What does it mean to forgive? So I've, come, uh, I've discovered this definition, and this is the one we're going to stick with today. Forgiveness is a conscious decision to cease to feel resentment against another, to give up our right to have our offender owe us back for the things that we did, they did to us. <clears throat> so it's really, uh, it, it asks us to, to love and to, uh, to show kindness to somebody that may not actually deserve forgiveness. They may not actually deserve the loving acts that we're showing to them or the kindness. We're actually uh, allowing God to take over and handle that situation for us instead of us handling it and us uh, discovering justice and making justice happen. We're trusting that God will do it for us. But knowing what forgiveness is, we can't fully understand forgiveness until we look at what forgiveness is not. So forgiveness is not, uh, we're going to cover a few things here, four in particular. For, uh, forgiving someone does not mean that you no longer feel the pain of the offense that was wronged against you. So it doesn't mean that uh, suddenly that if you forgive them, you don't feel any pain, everything is okay, and everything is, is wonderful and dandy. That is not what forgiveness means. Forgiveness does not mean that you cease longing for justice. If somebody were to come and smash all your windows out, you can forgive them, but you can still seek disciplinary action with, the law, enfor with law enforcement and that sort of thing. Those are two different things. Justice, forgiveness are separate. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Now, this is a, a one that actually we get from the Bible. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 34 says, For I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. So there it is. Forgiveness is forgetting, right? Well, the problem here is that Jeremiah is painting a word picture to allow us to understand what's going on here. And so really what he's saying is God will forget the sins that you have committed once you have been forgiven, as in he will not mark them down for him to hold against you in the future. Those will be gone. He actually more explains it better, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. And he's talking about love here. He says, it, love, keeps no record of wrongs. And so this is actually a better explanation because it's not wrapped up in a word picture. It just flat out says there's going to be no record of it. And that's really what Jeremiah is saying. There's no record of the wrong. So when it comes time to hold judgment, you will not be judged for that. God isn't going to forget it. There's a big theological problem as God starts forgetting things. You know, God is no longer omniscient if he forgets things. So you'd be, you know, praying to God, thank you for forgiving me for, you know, stealing things. And God would say, what? I'm sorry, what was, I don't remember that. You know, there'd be a big problem if God actually forgot things. So what Jeremiah is saying that God will not hold those things against you. And so forgiveness is not necessarily forgetting. Forgiveness does not mean you are to make it easy for the offender to hurt you again. That's a big thing. We don't want, you know, for example, say Bob over here. 
Bob, uh, say, Bob, I invite Bob over here to my house. And the Bob starts, uh, you know, before he leaves, he steals my socks. All my socks, he just packs them up and walks out with them. You know, either I'm not, come on, Bob. Either I'm not going to allow Bob to come over to my house anymore, or I'm really going to lock up my socks next time I invite him over. So I'm not going to make it easy for him. I may forgive him for stealing my socks. You're forgiven, Bob. Uh, but I'm not going to make it easy for him to come and steal my socks. So that's what forgiveness is. That's what forgiveness is not. So let's take a look at our summary statement for today. Summary statement, uh, basically, it uh, sums up what we're going to be talking about, but also it guides us through this morning's lesson. And it is forgiveness is possible, forgiveness is necessary, and forgiveness is worth it. So that's what we'll be talking about. Let's take a look at our passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. It says, For I made up my mind... Uh, not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and, that, and uh, with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. We'll, we'll pause there. So back at the beginning, notice that Paul says he doesn't want to make another painful visit. And this is, there's a lot of speculation on what goes on. What is this painful visit? What is he talking about? Did, you know, is this something that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians? Is it not? And we're not going to get into too much speculation because Paul really doesn't explain it perfectly, uh, what he's talking about here. Um, and he doesn't really have to because he's writing to the people that were there. So he doesn't need to explain it. They were there. They know what's going on. The only problem is that, well, we weren't there and we don't know what's going on. And so by reading the whole book of 2 Corinthians, we can kind of figure out a little bit of what's going on, but I'm not going to dig into the speculation. I'm only going to tell you what we know happened. So we know that Paul is very upset about something that occurred when he visited Corinth, when, uh, whether it's he, that he saw something that was sinful or whether he was involved in some kind of interaction that somebody did something sinful to him during that interaction, something hateful. Um, we don't know, but uh, we just know that it really upset him, and it upset him so much that Paul says that he actually planned on visiting them another time in Corinth, but he was so hurt by this that he ends up not going. And so he ends up going just straight back to Ephesus and writing a letter to the Corinthians. And so that's kind of where, uh, that's kind of what we know. And we're not going to speculate on anything else. But he starts in verse 2 telling us kind of why uh, this is, he writes this letter. And he says, For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have caused pain? So he doesn't want to go back, cause more pain. And it's interesting that he says that because Paul isn't the one that caused the pain. Somebody did something to him or he saw somebody else do something. But 
So what is this pain that he's talking about? And he's causing both the church pain, because he says he caused you pain, and you is the Corinthian church. It's a plural you. And he caused the one whom I have pain. That's a singular. And so he's talking about the individual who did the, uh, did the uh, pain causing there. And uh, so he caused Paul saying he caused both of them pain, which is a strange thing to say. But what he's saying is that he uh, somehow uh, before this letter, he had written another letter, which we learn about in verse three, that uh, he asked them to discipline this individual. And that's the pain that he's talking about. He caused the congregation to reach out to this individual and cause uh, un discomfort and pain in, in the whole congregation situation because they had to take care of this here. So in verse 3, we learn that he writes this letter, and uh, Paul does not want a repeat of this incident. So in verse 3, we can see that he doesn't want to uh, cause any more suffering. He doesn't want this situation to get worse. He doesn't want to repeat it when he visits next time. And so he rebukes not only the individual who's doing it, but he rebukes the whole church in general because they didn't do anything when whatever it is happened. They didn't say, hey, you got to stop doing that. And, and then the guy's like, oh, okay. And then, you know, he, he moves on. Uh, they didn't do anything. Paul had to go to Ephesians, write a letter, and tell them, hey, this was wrong. You need to correct this behavior. And so he, Paul, doesn't want any friction between them uh, the next time he visits. He wants this corrected. And then at verse 4, it says, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. And this is really interesting. Paul is doing this because he loves them. There's a difficult situation. There's a conversation that needs to be had. There's discipline that needs to be meted out. And Paul is not afraid to step into that situation because he loves them. So love is basically the driving force behind Paul when it comes to this difficult situation. It's easy to sidestep situations when it's difficult and not confront things that need to be taken care of. And, you know, that'll just make it worse. So, you know, that's the easy part. But in love, we have to step out and sometimes we have to discipline. We have to have those difficult conversations. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves. In Proverbs 13, 24, it says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him diligently disciplines him. So discipline and love go hand in hand. Those are the reasons. If you love, you discipline. If you see something that is wrong, you don't want them to continue on their path and fall right off a cliff. You discipline. And so Paul's confronting the situation because he loves them. And when love is present, forgiveness is possible. So that leads us to our next part of the sentence. Forgiveness is possible and forgiveness is necessary. So let's read from verse 5. Now if anybody has caused pain... He has caused it not to me, but in some measure 
not to be too, uh, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment is the major, uh, by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by the excess sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. So Paul, notice Paul's saying he's not the only one wronged here. Paul was wronged by the situation. That makes us kind of think something happened to Paul. But he's saying that the congregation was wronged by this situation. That's interesting to think about. This man was a member of the congregation, and so if he does something wrong, it affects the congregation. If the congregation sees that this man did something wrong and they do nothing about it, if he's living in sin and they do nothing about it, the congregation may be held liable for okaying the sin. It's the same way. If the congregation finds out that Bob's stealing socks, the congregation must confront Bob. Sorry, Bob. We have to confront you. And if the congregation does not confront Bob on this, the congregation is liable for condoning the thievery of socks. And we don't, Bob. So, that is not okay. We can't have that happen. So, uh, Paul understands that the punishment is necessary to clear the guilt from the congregation. And so, in order for uh, forgiveness to happen, they have to confront him and they have to do it as a congregation. And so verse 6 really turns to uh, the attention to the offender. It really uh, looks at the offender's grief. It says in verse 6, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. And it appears that the guilty individual um, is showing remorse by the discipline that the church has made. And it's, it's really a good sign. It shows that uh, the discipline that was given to him by the church is working. And the uh, word for punishment, uh, epitomia, epitomia is a Greek word that means the formal legal penalties or, or commercial sanctions. It's a formal uh, laying down of discipline or punishment. And so it really shows us that whatever happened to this individual, it was a formal church discipline. The church leveled discipline against this individual, and it shows that uh, it's, it appears that he responded uh, well to it. So that's, that's really actually good. Um, Paul understands that the punishment was necessary to correct the individual, uh, the individual's heart and the individual's behavior, and that through forgiveness, that will bring the individual back around to a point where restoration is able to happen. And so uh, go, let's, let's uh, look at verse 7 here. It says, So you should rather turn to uh, forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excess sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Paul knows the primary goal of church discipline, the, the primary role of forgiveness is restoration. That's the goal. 
Through forgiveness, you're restoring the relationship. Through church discipline, you want to restore the relationship. And so Paul is afraid that the offender, if not forgiven, will basically drown in the sorrow because most likely he's been separated from the congregation and he's no longer allowed to attend these gatherings. So he's very sorrowful, it appears, and Paul doesn't want him to drown in that sorrow. The discipline has worked. Let's bring him back into the congregation. Let's forgive because the individual seems to have, been, have responded to the discipline. So Paul desires the offender to be reinstated as, as a reminder that church discipline is really intended uh, to not only discipline, but to uh, lead to restoration as well. And that's the point of forgiveness. In order to have restoration, forgiveness is necessary. But forgiveness can't really be fully applied, notice, until there is a party that wants to be restored. If the party wants forgiveness, then forgiveness can be properly applied. I can forgive Bob all I want for stealing my socks, but unless Bob seeks forgiveness and is repentant, the forgiveness can't be fully applied, right? So let's take a look at our third uh, and final point. Forgiveness is possible, forgiveness is necessary, and forgiveness is worth it. So restoration takes both parties, though, full restoration. And Paul knows that, so he's, he had his attention on the individual who did something wrong. Now he turns his attention to the church. And he says, let's look at uh, verse 9 here. And he says, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we, could not be, uh, we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his design. So Paul is asking, when he writes this letter, he's not only asking for disciplinary action for the individual, but He's also writing, it appears, to test the church to see if they would do the right thing. Because remember, the church didn't do the right thing starting off. They didn't discipline this individual, even though they saw him sinning or committing this sin. They didn't do anything. So Paul's writing this letter to test them, to see if they would do the right thing, to see if they would obey him. Uh, and why would they obey him? Well, you know, he is an apostle. He's an apostle of Christ, an ambassador of Christ. He started this church. He served at this church for a year and a half before moving off to uh, Ephesus. I believe it was Ephesus, another place. And um, so he's not lording this over them. He is actually in spiritual authority over this church. So he's testing to see if they will obey or they won't. And in verse 10, we can see that Paul has already forgiven the individual. Not only has he forgiven him, but he starts to downplay a little bit of his hurt. And, you know, he's like, uh, I also forgive uh, indeed if I've forgiven anything. 
I've forgiven, uh, if I've forgiven anything, it's been for your sake. So he's kind of like, you know, downplaying a little bit, like, oh, nothing really. I mean, maybe a little something happened, but ah, you know. And uh, so he's downplaying it, and he knows that he kind of has to uh, allow for forgiveness to happen uh, so that the church will think it's okay to forgive. Because if the church is too quick to forgive, then they may think, well, what happens if Paul hasn't forgiven yet? Are we too quick? Do, should we even forgive? Well, Paul hasn't forgiven. Has, has Paul forgiven? You know, so they're kind of, they're not sure. And so Paul kind of realizes this, realizes this and lets them know that he's forgiving them also for their sake, so that they are free to forgive. Because forgiveness is worth it because it restores the church. Forgiveness is absolutely necessary to restore the church and keep the church united. If we never forgave each other, whew, it'd be rough. We would be in some pretty deep you know, water. It'd be over our head and we'd be drowning because we'd be in so much trouble. So Paul understands the goal of church discipline, the goal of forgiveness. And the goal of church discipline is three things. One, to protect the church. That's the goal of church discipline. One, protect the church. Two, restore the sinner to a right walk with God. Because if that doesn't happen, well, what was the point to begin with? And three, renew fellowship among the church followers. So protect the church, restore the sinner to a right walk with God, and renew fellowship among the church members. That's really the goal of church discipline. And all that takes discipline. Discipline, I'm sorry, forgiveness. Forgiveness is necessary for church discipline to work properly. God does not want a divided church. He wants a united church, a church that thrives together under him. Satan wants a divided church. Satan wants you to be separated from the church. And Paul realizes that in verse 11. He ends with, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Literally, it means that we will not be taken advantage of by Satan. Satan wants to keep the church weak by separating its members. Satan wants to defraud the church by removing its members from the church. Because once you're removed from the church, you're easy pickings. That's exactly what Satan wants. Satan will lie to you and tell you anything to get you away from the church. He'll tell you that you don't need the church. It's just you and God, baby. You don't need the church. Well, that's exactly where Satan wants you. He's going to tell you that, oh, well, there's people in the church that have hurt you. Therefore, you should not go back. He's going to say that, you know, you don't like that style of church worship, so you shouldn't go back to the church. Not this week, though, you know. The, he's, he'll say, you don't, he doesn't like that guest speaker, you know. Uh, well, not this week either, but, you know. <laughs> But, uh, you know, he'll tell you anything to get you away from the church. He'll say, organized religion is man-made, so you shouldn't go to church. He, it doesn't matter. He'll lie to you and tell you everything to get you away from the church and by yourself. And by yourself, he can pick you off real easy. 
And that's exactly what Satan wants. Don't give Satan a foothold. Forgive, be united with your brothers and sisters. And, but, you know, sometimes forgiveness is kind of difficult. I don't know if you've noticed. It's kind of difficult to forgive people sometimes. So what's at stake if we don't forgive? Refusing to forgive demonstrates resentment. It demonstrates bitterness. It demonstrates hate. These are all traits, notice, that are not of Jesus Christ. Therefore, these are all traits that should not be demonstrated by a believer. These are not good traits. This passage also teaches us about forgiveness that, that we can be overwhelmed by unforgiveness and drown in our sorrow due to unforgiveness. This passage also teaches us that Satan can gain a foothold through unforgiveness. That's never a good thing. In 1 John 4, 20 and 21, it says, anyone says, uh, I love, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he cannot, or he who can, can see, uh, I completely messed that up. I think there's something missing up there. There's something missing, all right. Yeah, thanks, man. We'll just end it with, uh, at the end there, it says, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we get this kind of idea here that if you love God, you must love your brother. If you do not love your brother, well, you do not love God because they go together. Love, love is from God. And so you cannot forgive somebody and uh, hate them. They don't go, they don't work together. And so the opposite is true. You cannot love somebody and not forgive them. They don't go together. Only love and forgiveness go together. So what's at stake if you don't forgive? Well, one, you know, you don't really love God if you don't show forgiveness. That's a pretty big problem. It's so worth it to forgive, to be in a proper relationship with God and a proper relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ is absolutely worth it to forgive. But why? I'm sorry. So um, is, it, is it worth it to forgive? Absolutely. You know, God designed us to be in a relationship with not only him, but also our fellow believers in the church. That's what we're designed for as believers. And if that doesn't happen, you know, it's basically impossible to live the Christian life if you don't, or if you're not open to forgive and you're not forgiving. So why do we forgive? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 15. It says, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive you, your trespasses. Yee. Well, that got pretty deep. God will not forgive you if you do not forgive others. British General James Oglethorpe, there's the last name, once said uh, to the great theologian and evangelist John Wesley, he once said, I never forget, I never uh, forgive. So I never forget, I never forgive. Which John Wesley replied, well then, sir, I hope you never sin. Because if you never forgive, 
God will never forgive you. He'll remember that. That's rough. Forgiveness is at the center of the gospel. Why do we forgive? Because we've been loved and we've been forgiven. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, loving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And also in Corinthians 3.13, bearing with one another, and in, uh, if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So why do we forgive? Because we've been forgived. We've been loved. We don't forgive because we're loving and we're forgiving, because really we're not. It's God in us that allows us to be loving and forgiving. We forgive because we've been loved and we've been forgiven. We forgive because Christ first forgave us. It's the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel is forgiven. If Christ and God never forgave us, then we would never be accepted into the presence of God. There'd be a huge problem. But I think the point really that we're getting at is, well, how do we forgive? And I'm sorry, I didn't put these up on, uh, on, on the screen here, but uh, I'll, I'll give you some, some pointers on how to forgive. So forgive me for not putting them up on the screen. <laughs> All right, so uh, step one, acknowledge the pain. Acknowledge the pain that was caused to you that you have to forgive. It's okay to hang on to that and process through that. It's okay to live with that pain for a bit before you let it go. That's perfectly fine. Step two, put ourselves in their shoes. If you had hurt somebody, would you want to be forgiven? I hope the answer is yes, because they probably want to be forgiven. It's kind of the golden rule, do unto others as they have do unto you, you know, Matthew 7, 12. Step three, pray that God will change your heart. It's really difficult to change your heart without prayer. It's really difficult to, to forgive anybody without a changed heart. So pray that God will change your heart. Step four, remember God's forgiveness towards you. It's the gospel. It's the gospel life, forgiveness. God forgave you so that we can forgive others. Step five, reflect on the Bible. What does the Bible say about forgiveness? If we hop onto the internet and go onto a Bible website and we look up the word forgiveness, how many times does it appear in the Bible and study each one of those? It's like a fire hose coming at you. There's so many times forgiveness is talked about in the Bible. You know, you might want to narrow it down somehow, but forgiveness is very important in the Bible. It's everywhere in the Bible. Number six, let go of the hurt. This is a really important step. If you don't let go of that hurt, that's where Satan is going to get at you. Hey, it's up on the screen. <laughs> let go of the hurt. Let go of the hurt because that's where Satan's going to get at you. When you're holding on to that hurt, when you're holding on to that resentment, Satan's going to be like, Oop, yep, that's great. Keep doing that. And he's going to hold on 
to you just as you're holding on to that resentment and hurt. And step seven, pray for the person who has hurt you. That's so important. Pray for them. Not only pray for their change of heart, pray that maybe they don't know Jesus. Maybe they're in a rough place and that's why they lashed out at you. There's so many different reasons to pray for the, uh, that individual. But remember, we forgive because Christ first forgave us. And that's so important that we live out that gospel. We live out forgiveness. So remember, forgiveness is possible. Forgiveness is necessary. And forgiveness is absolutely worth it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that we can be in your words, study your words. Thank you for the message that you have given us this morning, Father. And I pray that as we go off through this week, Lord, that we would remember to forgive. We would remember to show your light to all those who are brought into our path, Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.